Welcome to the Marketing Technology Podcast. News, tools, and tips from marketing technology companies and the marketers using them. Here's Douglas Carr. Well, welcome to another interview series with the Marketing Tech Blog. Uh, we are very excited to have Johan Reed. He is the Global Senior Director uh, of Solutions Marketing at SAP, or I should say he's the Global Senior Director of Marketing at SAP. <laughs> it's one of those titles, right, <laughs> Johan? Yeah, you know, with, uh, with big companies, it's close enough. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I can't thank you uh, enough for taking the time here. Um, uh, Johan's uh, PR team had reached out uh, to talk about uh, basically corporate branding and how companies can uh, get back their brand or, or obviously control their brand a little bit better online. And uh, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that we've been really harping uh, on brand marketing a lot more than we have in the past. Um, you know, content strategies and, and social media strategies and search engine strategies are, are really bringing brands, strong brands to the forefront. But what we see is weak brands are, are kind of lagging behind because they don't know their story and they and they, they just don't know how they fit in the overall equation. And so I thought it was, uh, I jumped on the opportunity to interview Johan because um, with a company like SAP that's, you know, marketing globally uh, and the size of the company, just the sheer size of the company. And, you know, there's got to be, I, I don't even know, but millions of conversations happening at, simultaneously every day about SAP products and services. I thought this would be a, a, a perfect fit for the show. So, uh, Johan, welcome to the show. And if, if you'd like to start, maybe just talk about your, uh, your past and, and what you're doing now uh, with SAP. Sure, Doug. So, um, you know, my past, uh, I have a checkered past, as they say. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've been around the, the CRM, customer-facing software space, since the turn of the century. Uh, and, you know, I've seen, seen CRM trends come and go, and I've, uh, I've, I've implemented CRM systems, I've sold CRM systems, and, um, you know, today I work for SAP. I lead a team of marketers, and we focus on the topics that our audiences care about. And, you know, we're really trying to inform CMOs, uh, sales leaders, customer service leaders, uh, commerce leaders, about the trends in the marketplace and the technologies that SAP provides to help them get ahead of those trends uh, and and you know basically engage their customers better than they are today. And and um, how many customers worldwide does SAP serve? Um, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. SAP has 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 uh, you know uh, hundreds of thousands of customers uh, worldwide. You know, we're we are one of the largest software companies in the world, and uh, you know we have we have name brands that you'd recognize. I think a third of the world's two thirds of the world's transactions run through SAP systems in some capacity. So we have a a really big customer base, um, which is great for us because as a marketer, I get the opportunity to talk to customers all the time about what they're doing and how they how they see their their brand, how they see their systems, how they engage their customers, and so. You know, it's great to have the opportunity to, to connect with practitioners, um, but also to help them then with, you know, not only advice, but actually products that do what we say they do. Yeah. And, and with with hundreds of thousands of clients out there and, and conversations, you know, happening, I, I guess, both at a professional level, personal level, and 
you know, LinkedIn, LinkedIn groups, uh, Facebook, Facebook pages, Twitter, you know, everything. Um, how, what kind of, what kind of uh, things are you guys doing to maintain, you know, control of your brand and making sure that you're presented, you know, the, the way that you need to be to optimally communicate, you know, to prospects and customers on what, what products and services you provide? You know, we, um, we've got a number of initiatives. We have a fairly, a fairly small team. Um, my focus, as I said, is our customer engagement and commerce solutions. And so we have a, a fairly small team. Um, I lead the, the solution marketing team, uh, and our focus is really building out thought leadership. Um, you know, we've taken the point of view of customer engagement and focusing on the fact that there's more to just, you know, more to the front office than just CRM. The fact that we have, um, you know, a set, a set of, of requirements now that are imposed by customers uh, uh, and the, the systems that you may have in place, the silos in marketing, the silos in sales, the silos in customer service and commerce are no longer sufficient. You have to go beyond those and look at a sweet approach to how you integrate all those organizations to serve the customer in a better way. And so we build out thought leadership um, and work with analyst firms and influencers to, and our customers to understand the market and tell the stories to help others. Uh, and then, you know, we have a product marketing team that really focuses on helping our customers understand our products. We have a digital team that takes the content that we produce and pushes that out on digital channels. Um, and, you know, we have programs teams. We have a number of different uh, individuals who are, who are all playing critical roles in pushing um, into the market our point of view and trying to engage our customers and our audience really to learn more about SAP and the position that we're taking because we really feel like we're saying something different um, and we really feel like we understand the pain that, that brands are going through as they're trying to engage their customers across a variety of channels uh, that they may really no longer be able to dictate. So, you know, that's, that's how we internally start to drive this out. And, you know, for, for me, it's really a feedback cycle, understanding what's working and what's resonating with my audience. Um, and, you know, fortunately, we have a very strong brand as SAP, um, though, you know, that, that doesn't always help us in every market. But, uh, you know, I think, I think that, that does help us in the bigger markets get our message out. And I mean, I what you said there is so important, I think, for our listeners to hear, and that's that the strategies that you're deploying at this monstrous, you know, global level, you're doing with a small team, you're working with thought leaders, you're working with advocates, you're working through customer stories, you're making sure that your authoritative voice gets heard and differentiated out there. Well, that's no different than a small company, right? And what they need to accomplish out there right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one thing, you know, one, one other piece that underpins everything that I was just talking about is the information about our audience and our customers. And in some cases, I think smaller companies have that task a little bit easier because they may not have such a diverse set of systems. They may have, uh, you know, a simpler infrastructure to get customer data. But, you know, for us, and we use our own tools. 
so it, you know, the, we look at the different types of customers we have. Uh, you know, we have a huge portfolio as a customer, uh, as a company. You know, everything from uh, analytic solutions, human resources, our core ERP product, uh, a platform in Hana. You know, we have we have a wide variety of solutions, and so really understanding who our customers are, being able to segment them, being able to understand intent. Um, looking at their history with us, look at what they're saying as individuals on social media, that helps telegraph to us what what problems they're trying to solve. You know, in a B2B environment, we also have the luxury of connecting individually with uh, representatives of our customers and of our audience at events uh, and at sales meetings. So we can collect that, that feedback one-on-one as well and really target um, and personalize, you know, and, and a lot of people talk about personalization. To me, personalization goes far beyond the, you know, dear first name, last name, comma. You know, it goes it goes well into providing content that's really relevant and timely based on what you as an individual are trying to accomplish at that moment. Um, and I think that's where B2B companies can take a lesson from the consumer brands because I think they tend to be further ahead, although there's still a lot of opportunity for consumer brands to do a better job of marketing based on the context and the intent of the customer. Uh, But, you know, I think that that data piece is so important because there's such little tolerance today for a big blast of, you know, untailored, unpersonalized information. You know, it just gets chalked up to marketing noise. And that, that's for me, you know, the underpinning for all of the, the different aspects, whether we're running a program, whether we're looking at what kind of content to create, whether we're thinking about how do we, how do we promote um, a piece of, of thought leadership that we've written on our own social and, uh, and, and other web publishing channels. Yeah, I, you know, you, you got into a lot of things. I, one, of, one of the interesting, we, we've been speaking to... Um, you know, a couple of people in the analytics industry and everything. And I love what you said about personalization there, because um, a lot of people are actually shifting kind of focus of personalization and taking it out of, um, you know, taking it out of that automation model and putting it more into the testing model, you know, that, that hey, just like an A-B test and, and taking, you know, or a multivariate test and testing different, you know, aspects of content, there's also the opportunity to take at a one-to-one level and test personalization, right? That it's just like you said, it's not first name. It's literally, you know, trying to predict, you know, what they're looking for next, what they need, what they, you know, where they already are in the buying cycle, what their intent is, what the, you know, how fast they might convert all of those pieces. And that's, that changes the messages dynamically, you know, at a one-to-one level. There are just a few more weeks to play the Monopoly Collect to Win game at Randall's. Play now for your chance to win $1 million cash, a vacation home, and instant prizes and offers. Find out more at Randall's. Shop with a remarkable card and get fresh boneless skinless chicken breast for just $1.77 a pound. And for a sweet treat, pick up Bluebell ice cream for $3.99 each when you buy two or more. Fresher meats, sweeter deals, bigger savings. Randall's, it's just better. See game rules at playmonopoly.us. Monopoly is a trademark of Hasbro and is used with permission. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think when we when we look at the technology that's available to marketers now, um, you know, our 
technology has predictive analytics built into it. So we can take structured and unstructured information and start to divine things like propensity to buy. Right. So no longer do you have to just stick, you know, if you're going to run a campaign, no longer do you just have to stick to, you know, traditional demographic or or other targeting metrics. You can actually start saying, okay, give me the people who are most likely to buy and give me the people who might be less likely to buy in another segment because I'm going to run different, different, different messages to those folks. And I don't have to just test that out. I already know. I already know that based on the prior you know, prior campaigns and other browsing behaviors or other interaction history that these different groups are going to respond differently. And I think, you know, there's, there is, there's, I think a, a great deal to be learned from the testing, but I think that there's so much in the data that marketers already possess that they're not leveraging, especially in that unstructured data. You know, if, you, if somebody keeps going back to a product page over and over again, or they're comparing products on your, on your website, even as a B2B brand, right, having the insight of where do they, they kind of keep gravitating back to a certain set of pages. Well, that's clearly telegraphing intent. So if you're going to send them one marketing email, it better be about those things that they were just looking at. Um, unfortunately, most of the time we wind up, you know, that that sort of information doesn't get wrapped into the outbound programs because marketing automation tools in general fall short. They tend to be focusing on the execution of that campaign, not on the not on that insightful development and making it granular down to the individual. Oh, I love that. Are you a marketing technology company looking to increase your market share? Contact Doug and his team at DK New Media for information on their public relations, search engine marketing, and content strategies, including a dedicated show on this podcast. Email info at dknewmedia.com. I, I, I was, uh, and, and since you're you know, new on the show, I always tell a joke that in, the, in that whole marketing technology space and marketing automation, it's it's a lot like selling refrigerators to starving people, you know, that, that it, <laughs> it's great that you have something to put it in and it's great that you can run this campaign. And, but, but the hard part is collecting all this data and trying to make those predictive decisions and having the software that enables you to understand what the customer life cycle is so that you can preempt and optimize their behavior, um, with with the campaigns that you're executing on on their schedule right yeah yeah and, and you know the, the reality is too that you have to look beyond um our point of view is that the you know customers take a journey and each not only does does each customer take a unique journey but each journey they take is unique so even if it's a repeat purchase type of thing you know in consumer products you have a lot of repeat buy um and, and I always give the example of laundry detergent, right? So, the, you know, I'll do some research and, and select a, fab, a, 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 um, a laundry detergent, and I'll buy it as part of my regular grocery runs. I might buy it when I'm nearly running out. I might have to make an emergency trip to a convenience store because I've completely run out and have laundry to do. I might need to buy it when I'm staying at a hotel out of one of those vending machines because I spilled something on my clothing, right? I'm buying the same product over and over again, but I'm taking different journeys to make that buying decision. And this is where it gets tricky for, for brands because, you know, that, 
there's so much infinite complexity around that. So how do you anticipate that? And a, and a lot of it is around that context, right? If I can understand the context of the interaction we're having and I, and, and I can divine some of the intent, what it seems like you're looking to do, then I can personalize those interactions. And so it's not just campaign emails or it's not just the banner ad that pops up on the website selecting which offer do I want to provide to you. But it goes further down the line. So if, if you post something on social media, the person who's going to respond to that tweet or to that Facebook post uh, has the opportunity to do so in context. If you contact the customer care line after making a purchase, again, there's context for that individual to create a better brand experience and to deliver on that brand promise and fold all of those interactions and all of that data back into this this decision-making process about how are we going to engage with you. And I think, you know, that's where things tend to break down because the customer takes one one journey with the brand, but the brand has, you know, it's like a, it's sort of those multi-legged races where they're sort of all taped together but running at different speeds because you have different, different silent organizations who've, you know, who, who may or may not communicate well, who may or may not share systems. Um, and so, that's where the breakdown tends to happen in terms of how brands represent themselves to the customer. And, you know, nobody's perfect at this. And I think there, the, there are lots of opportunities across the board for improvement. But again, if you take that outside in approach and look at the customer's journey and map that out and say, where do I have strength? Where do I have weakness? And how do I personalize, like really personalize at each, at each, each touch point, each interaction, that will set you down the path of really being able to, you know, to go back to the topic here, to, to control the way that your brand is presented in the marketplace because you're now there waiting for your customer to engage with them and give them those great experiences for them to then take and share with their communities um, and, and, you know, spread, spread the word. Wow. I, you know, that's, uh, I don't, I, I, I'm saying, wow, I'm a geek, but I, I mean, that really is <laughs> a different perspective than what most people, you know, define, let's say, as brand marketing, you know, and, and, and I guess, you know, in my opinion, you know, whenever I looked at brand marketing, and trust me, I'm a, I'm not a brand marketer, we always bring in, you know, additional help and assistance when, when our clients are, are suffering, and we always know they're suffering when, you know, when the message just isn't, you know, when we see the sales PowerPoints don't look like the marketing material and don't, you know, and have a different message and everything else. But, but a, a lot of that focus that we've had and we continue to see is it, this internal focus of branding and, you know, how do we want people to perceive us in five years and, you know, 10 years and things like that. What, but what you're bringing to the table, I think that's absolutely critical, is that the reason why consumers go wayward and the reason why they get angry and the reason why they get frustrated and the reason why they derail your brand online is because you're simply not meeting them where they are and providing the information that they need when they need it, right? Yeah. 
And, and you know, you make a good point because there is there, there's a lot to be said about being consistent, right? As a B two B firm, SAP, you know, we take a a huge, a, you know, we have an organization called Brand Voice where we go through and everything we publish, we make sure that it's consistent and it's uniform and the look and the feel is reflective of our brand standards and guidelines and all of that stuff. And there's, a, you know, that's all really important. Uh, and those are the things that that a brand marketer or a marketer in general can control, right? I can make sure that every document I put out has the right voice and matches our corporate style guidelines. But the reality is that the perception is the customers. And no matter how nice the branding is, no matter how consistent the tone of voice is, if it's not published on their channels, if it's not creating the experience that they want, then it's not really living up to the, the you know, to SAP's brand promise in my case, or to any, you know, to if another marketer is doing it to their brand's promise. Um, and so, you know, looking at it again through the lens of what is the customer experiencing and and being able to target them again to understand who they are and deliver the right message to them that's a variant of the brand message, but the variant that's most likely to resonate with them will eventually get them talking. And when the customer speaks, other customers will listen much more than when the brand speaks. And so, you know, there's a lot of this discussion about who owns the brand. You know, have have companies lost control of their brand because of all the discussion that's happening online, et cetera. You know, if you really want to get if you really want to get deep into it, control is is sort of imaginary, right? We believe that we can control things, but the best we can really do is influence them. Uh, in many cases, when you're dealing with multiple parties, even in a two, in a two-person conversation, no one person can control the conversation because it takes two people to have that. And so a brand can put things out into the marketplace, but how the marketplace reacts is up by and large to the individuals that make that marketplace up. And so if, if you're focusing only on what you're pushing out into the marketplace and you're not thinking about how do I influence the way that they perceive me? How do I influence the conversation? How do I create these great experiences for them that go beyond just the, the logo and the colors and the tone of voice so that it's super consistent, so that it's really engaging, uh, so, that, so that they come and they tell their friends about the experience they've had and spread the word the way I want it to be spread, right? That to me is where brand marketing has to be um, with, with, with customers, whether B2B or B2C, who are so empowered by information today. Uh, no doubt. And, and I think it's, um, you know, not enough people put uh, enough emphasis in, you know, brand advocacy and, and uh, I was, we were just, in fact, I was just talking, you know, this is a, a friend of mine, he owns a jewelry store and he was asking me, you know, about content strategies, you know, and he had a firm that was, you know, writing content for them, you know, on different topics related to, to jewelry. But I, I, I asked him, I said, I said, how many people come into your store every single day? And he said, well, 15 to 20 customers a day. And that's customers. That's not you know, that's not leads. And I said, you have 15 to 20 amazing stories coming into your store every single day. And you're not, you know, you're not latching on to that. And these are, you know, with a jewelry store, it's, you know, someone that got their ring from their grandmother and it had a broken prong on it or something like that. You know, I'm, I'm not a jewelry guy, but, but, you know, these, these are, these are, 
uh, these are really, really heart to heart, you know, type thing. People getting married, people, you know, getting engaged. And, and I was so surprised that, you know, he just didn't even think about, you know, taking the captive audience and happy audience that he already had and, and really utilizing their voice, you know, to, to like you said, you know, the, the SAP can work on authority, right? But the trust aspect of SAP is, is a lot more, you know, uh, a lot, uh, I don't know what the right, a lot more authentic when it's coming from customers rather than, you know, rather than the brand itself. And, uh, and it's, a, I think it's, it's such a strong message to companies, you know, large to, like I said, all the way down to the small jewelry realtor, uh, you know, retailer, um, that they need, they really need to be getting this process in place. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The reality is the customer's voice is the loudest. And it's interesting also for B2B companies because, you know, we all, SAP and all of our competitors, and it doesn't even matter, you know, if you go to any space, B2B companies live on customer reference calls. They, you know, we put out um, what we call business transformation studies where we will do an in-depth case study about our customers and what they've done. Um, But, you know, I really think that there is a greater authenticity and acceptance when customers are just doing it on their own, right? If you have a great experience, uh, and I'm a frequent flyer, right? So when I have a great experience and I talk about that on TripAdvisor or if I tweet about it, um, you know, those experiences, those moments, they're unprompted. Nobody's asked me for my opinion. I've offered it up. I'm not a paid spokesperson. There's no incentive for me to do this other than the fact that I'm, I, I had a great experience and I want to let other people know. That is is really priceless. I mean, uh, in I guess in the old parlance, there's earned media, right? And that's where you get a, a magazine to write about you or you get the New York Times to say to print something about you without having to pay them to do it. But I look at customer advocacy as the new earned media. And so when, you know, in that case of, of, the, of the jewelry store, if he can capitalize on those stories, if he can ask those people to just tell their stories and if he can create experiences so when customers come into his store, when they leave – and have lunch with their friends and tell tell them about it, that to me is success. And that to me is what, what will build the brand. Uh, because ultimately, customers today are so informed, uh, you know, and there's so much competing for their attention. In many cases, they're going to do what's easiest. And if somebody has told them that they've had a really great experience, that's where they're going to go. And interestingly, um, and I don't have the citation off the top of my head, but we have, you know, there's research been done that shows uh, that that customers are willing to pay more for better experiences. I believe it's the American Express Global Barometer. You know, they're, they've done they've done research that shows people are willing to pay more for a better experience. So not only does it help build a brand and bring in new customers, but there's a good chance that those new customers would actually be willing to spend more money if you're delivering on that promise of, hey, you come to me and you're going to have the best possible experience. I Regardless think, of channel, I am here for you. Yeah, I, I think uh, Shell Israel uh, is actually writing a book on, on that. I think the first title of the book was Lethal Generosity. <laughs> And I, I, I don't I don't know that that's I don't know that that's still the title, but he, he is absolutely focused on this. And, and we are you know, even as a small company, I joke with people that I, I used to before I started in the agency world, I used to go, 
how why is that agency charging that much money like that is that's ridiculous you know we it's it's always the we could do it cheaper we could do it less expensive and and while that's true the pro the reason why great agencies are charging additional money is because it's not just about delivering you know the widget or the project or the the infographic or whatever it's about the experience it's about all of the things encapsulating you know the thought process and the tools and the introductions that they make to other people in the industry and and all of those other pieces that those cost additional you know it costs additional time and effort and resources and even money um so you do have to charge more for your products and services in order to create that you know that experience and so it's it's one of those in my opinion it's a self-serving you know kind of thing i i'm not a I'm not a wealthy man, but I drive a Cadillac. And the reason why I drive a Cadillac is when I drove a Ford, nobody cared about me. My Cadillac, I get phone calls from my sales guy every birthday asking me how everything's going. And, and he never mentions coming in for a trade-in or anything. And I had a couple things that I had installed on the car that they didn't even charge me for. You know, they if I, if I go down there, they give me a you know, a cubicle with Wi-Fi and my own phone and everything else so I can do business while I'm waiting on my car. Like, they make it such a masterful experience that I I sit and I go, I've never, I've owned a lot of new cars, but I've never experienced this. And it's, and it, you know, here I am blabbing about it, you know, on the podcast, and so now more people are going to learn about that. But I think that's, that's exactly what people people are busy you know we're all busy and we're all working our butts off and we're all getting a thousand emails a day and and uh we want a nice experience when we're working with a, a company you know whether it's a a service or whether it's a product that we get we want a unique experience with that infographics and white papers continue to lead search and content strategies throughout the web DK New Media researches, designs, and promotes the best informational graphic and most well-produced white papers in the industry. Contact Doug and his team at DK New Media for additional information. Email info at DK New Media. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting that you bring up the, the automakers. They've, you know, going back a long time, you know, Toyota figured that out with the Lexus brand, right? People were willing to pay more for that premium experience. We can see it with airlines today. Airlines are actually increasing the size of their business class cabins and first class cabins because people are willing to pay more for a better experience. So, you know, I, I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. And that platform then, that experience, you know, takes you, um, you know, takes, takes the message that the brand is created and it's an authentic message because it's not, again, it's not the brand saying it, it's the brand that is, that has created the experience. The customers are talking about it, enticing other people to come. Um, and then again, from a technical perspective, right, you have to be ready to embrace those, that new audience, those new customers who are coming and understand and anticipate what they might need based on the way they're approaching you, based on their behavior, getting that insight and having the technology to, to come to, you know, to, to allow them to come to you on the channels that they're most comfortable with. You know, everybody talks about millennials and about social and about these emerging channels, but I think companies are still struggling to figure out how to, how to capitalize on those channels, how to be available. How do you create an experience that allows a conversation to occur 
in a very organic way that might start on Twitter, move to a web chat, go to a phone call, go to an in-store experience, go back to uh, an email exchange, and then wind up closing off with a you know another tweet. So how do you how do you continuously flow through that experience from first awareness? through a purchasing decision and then into into the person actually consuming or using that good or service right so it you know the point that you were t- making about uh, about your dealership experience was that it wasn't just all marketing it wasn't just up at the front end with the channels where you were you were interested right you have an experience when you go in and you have a, a physical presence in their dealership right the salesperson who has already sold you the vehicle. They're not relying on marketing. They're actually staying in contact with you through the ownership experience. And if you called that salesperson back and said, I have a problem with my car, that salesperson would probably not just say, okay, well, you have to call service back. They would probably facilitate the service conversation for you. Right. And so that's another one of the things that we talk about in the context of this customer journey is that the lines have to blur and you can't just say, well, marketing is awareness, responsible for awareness, discovery, sales picks it up in the interest and evaluation phase and then you know the the purchase decision happens and then customer service takes over after the sale you can't do more. every every one of these these organizations really has to stay engaged with the customer through their entire journey and and, and again you know, bring all the data points together so that they all have that same context and that's really from my experience, where companies are struggling because they have these siloed systems, and I hate to, to keep going back to the fact that it's a system a systems thing, but ultimately, you know, we rely on people, process, and technology to solve every every business problem we have today, right? And if and if you have great people but they don't have access to that information, if they're unable to carry a business process through from you know, from one department to the next, that fundamentally impedes their ability to deliver an experience. And now that we have digital channels where the customer is not interacting with a person, but directly interacting with these systems, you know, having having silos, uh, you know, really, if you go to a website where you're going to buy something and you can't find out if it's in stock, there's a very low tolerance for that kind of thing now. Uh, and so looking at looking at how, how companies address those silos um, I think that's top of mind for not only CIOs but for CMOs and VPs of sales as well. Oh, this is uh, what an amazing conversation! Looks like you already visited at home this spring. The patio looks great, but why the makeover? Because we're hosting the block party. Because Sunday dinners moved outdoors. Because oh, Hunter's graduation and Emily's baby shower. And because sometimes I can just sit back and enjoy it. Explore At Home's expanded selection of patio decor, like cushions starting at $9.99 and garden themes from modern to coastal. At Home, the home decor superstore. Any style, any budget, any reason to redecorate. Visit one of our three Austin area At Home superstores today. Um, Johan, so so from an SAP standpoint, you know, can you provide like a, a you know, a good customer that you know, and the tools that they're using. I mean, is the implementation of something like this is obviously when when SAP is working with an organization, you guys have massive amounts of transactional data and and, and everything, but they might not be tapped into the social monitoring, uh, you know, tools that you have. They might not be, you know, into the marketing tools yet and everything else is, 
you know, is is a you know is the process this you know continuous improvement of analysis of the customer you know uh, journey you know uh, and then you know a rollout of of technologies over time that you know and then optimization over time or is it you know do you guys you know do you ever have anybody walk in the door and you know the whole they they buy the whole kit and caboodle and <laughs> you know they're up and at it um <laughs> yeah, well the the, the... SAP's customers, just like everybody else's customers, they each take their own journey. And so the answer is yes, yes, and yes, right? Okay. Some customers will come in and, and they'll say, just, you know, I've got, I, this is, this is you know, burning issues, just give us everything. Um, other customers want to start. In many cases, you know, companies still are traditionally structured, right? The CMO has a budget, the VP of sales has a budget, and they each have business pains that they need to address. The, you know, the, the, the customer service team have a budget to rebuild their call center or, you know, the the um, the commerce team needs a new commerce presence, right? So people are trying to solve tactical problems. What I think is important is to look at that decision in the greater context of the customer journey so that you're not just buying more siloed solutions and then trying to cobble them together with integration, which winds up being really complicated and expensive to maintain, but rather, you know, looking at this holistically and saying, okay, if we, if we do the outside in, if we look at the customer's journey with us, you know, here are several different customer journeys for the customers who we believe represent our optimal customer. So we're going to design for that. Now let's look at where are we not meeting them? Where are we falling down? What channels are we missing? What uh, you know? What experiences are broken for them? And let's let's resolve those things first. And even the the companies that come in and buy you know the whole set of solutions from us, they're always going to start their implementation somewhere first. It's never the big bang approach. Um, and so, you know, there's there's this this idea of mapping out your customer's journey, to understanding it based on the information you have, starting to implement those those additional systems to create better experiences, create more engagement, uh, and then, again, continuously looking at the data that's coming in uh, and understanding what's happening for your customer now that you've fixed, you know, now, now you have a social presence. What is that doing? Now you have a, a new commerce system. Well, perhaps you've implemented a commerce system, but now, now that you have more people browsing and shopping online, your customer service infrastructure is actually not set up to support those people browsing and shopping online. So the next step is to implement a next generation call center with better online chat, being able to, to have uh, social customer service interactions over things like Twitter or your Facebook page, um, or, you know, in line, in, in building out apps to support people where they can make purchases in line and get customer service in line in the app. Um, you know, those kinds of things will, will always cascade. But what's important from, from my perspective is to continuously reevaluate what the impact on the customer is and to make these decisions about technology and business process, not departmentally in, in a silo, but in the context of the journey your customer takes with you. Oh, this is awesome. Um, Johan, where, uh, you know, I, I mean, uh, where can people read more about, you know, uh, this, this, you know, critical, critical, you know, uh, topic um, from SAP and from you? Are, are you blogging on SAP's blog or? Yeah, so um, there are a couple of places where I blog. I'm, I blog uh, at the Future of Commerce and at CustEdge.com, the Customer Edge. 
Um, and then, you know, I'm on Twitter at Redefine, so that's at W-R-E-D-E-F-I-N-E, and you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, probably don't <laughs> don't blog and tweet uh, as, as much as I'd like to, but... Uh, <laughs> Those are, the, those are the places that you'll you'll find me. Well, if you're spending time on podcasts, you're doing good too. That's a that's obviously a growing segment, right? And and great content out there. Absolutely, you know, I think uh, I think it's really valuable, and it capitalizes on the time that people have when they when they're not able to read something. So I, I love the podcast format. Yeah, and and from an SAP standpoint, I think I think uh, companies might make the mistake of thinking that. SAP is just this massive global, you know, uh, we're not enterprise, we don't have over 100,000, you know, uh, you know, employees. Um, and, and that's not the truth, right? That SAP has um, basic small business, medium sized business startups um, can can be working with SAP to, to implement their solutions, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's the, I think the, the, the surprising thing about SAP is that we, have such a broad set of solutions and we address a broad range of markets and industries and I think that's something else about SAP that's, that's unique is that we tend to build industry focused solutions so that um, you know smaller companies can actually just leverage something out of the box without having to spend a lot on customization because it's already set up for their industry and you know so I think there there are a lot of benefits that maybe smaller mid-sized companies don't necessarily associate with SAP. We tend to have a reputation for being expensive and, and difficult to implement, and people don't think about us necessarily as, as a cloud business, as somebody who's innovative, whose solutions are reasonably priced. Um, but, you know, we've, we've undergone, SAP has undergone a tremendous transformation in the last, I want to say, five years. I've been with the company for eight, and we really, uh, you know, We've we've changed, and anybody who doesn't um, that still has that old perception, um, you know, I think it's time to maybe take another look at SAP and reacquaint yourself with us. Yeah, I I think so too. the The other side of it too is that I think SAP has been you know really advanced on its you know integration capabilities, and um, you know you talked about you know people you know obviously trying to mix and match you know solutions and get something working, and I totally agree with you that that's that's a you know, it just gets costly and expensive. But but as far as working with a single vendor that has all of the solutions, there's a lot of opportunity for companies also to, to build out a tailored solution with SAP that's flexible, you know, to their processes. And I think that's something that people need to keep in, keep in mind as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, again, our cloud solutions um, take a lot of the complexity out that I I think most people associate with the traditional on-premise SAP solutions of having to configure servers and, you know, set up the core infrastructure. You know, our cloud solutions are, you know, very, very short uh, implementation times, you know, days and weeks, not months and years. Oh, fantastic. Well, I, I can't thank you enough, Johan, for joining us today. And, and uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm really going to do some thinking about how I present this, you know, when I write the blog post you know, wrapped around this, but I, I think it's critical information and, and too many people are looking at, you know, personalization and user experience on one side of the scale and, and brand on the other side of the scale. And this conversation really pulls them together well. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. My pleasure, Doug. I really enjoyed it. 
Subscribe online at marketingtechblog.com. Subscribe to our email, download our app, or follow us on social media.